if you asked me like 10 years ago, would people come into a bar and ask for a uh, non-alcoholic spirit? I'd be yeah. like, well, why would you, why would you <laughs> do this? Welcome to Tampa's Table, a culinary journey. I'm Jeff Houck. I'm Vice President of Marketing for the 1905 Family of Restaurants. And today we're going to be talking mixology, all the magic that happens behind the bar. And with me today is guest Ro Patel. Welcome. Thank you. Welcome. Ro is, for me, uh, the Obi-Wan of cocktails when it comes to Tampa. Uh, consultant, expert, um, just anything that I've learned about cocktails in the past 15 years, I've learned pretty much from you. So I'm thrilled that you're here. Thanks for joining us. I'm thrilled I'm here too. So what are the basics of a great cocktail? The I think basics are uh, the ingredients. You know, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a, a huge fan of classic cocktails. Most of those consist of three ingredients. Um, and we talked about this a long time ago about ice being mm -hmm. uh, um, a major component of uh, of a cocktail. And we'll come back to that. Uh, so yep. the three ingredients that you see, what do you have to have? I'd like to say uh, premium ingredients, mm -hmm. uh, ingredients uh, in terms of spirits, I guess, or liqueurs, they, they have to uh, marry really well. Um, they have to, uh, there's all kind, I mean, today we have so many brands, so many wonderful spirits to, uh, choices. Once upon a time, you didn't have as many. So um, I guess, um, Alchemist mixologists back in the time, uh, like 1880s, they would have uh, created their own um, tinctures, bitters, uh, syrups, uh, sometimes even their own liqueurs. And so uh, I think going back to that time and uh, keeping things uh, like high quality, I think that really helps. So in other words, better ingredients, better cocktails. Yeah, it's pretty much. And yeah. So there, you talked a little bit about the chemistry. Mm -hmm. Tell me a little bit about the shape of the glass, the type of glass, and how that delivers a different experience. Because I think it's an unknown thing for a lot of people. They, you know, the difference between a highball glass and a Collins glass and things like that can get a little mysterious. Sure. Uh, obviously, like you say, picking picking the right glassware is uh, is important. I find it interesting. Like if you look at old cocktail books, uh, a martini glass was like two ounces, and now then thirteen. So. Uh, I think uh, we 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 indulge a little bit more. I think in uh, in uh, our choices of glasses, but um, yeah, to, I'm just like wine. Mm -hmm. um, the glass allows you uh, aeration. It also allows you a chance to, uh, to to get your nose closer to the to to the to the juice, if you like. So, like, if you're using something like uh, effervescence and uh, fizz, mm -hmm. uh, I would recommend, like you say, uh, a Collins glass. Mm -hmm. It allows uh, you know the bubbles to rise much higher, and it's more enjoyable than just say using a rocks glass. Now you came to Tampa in the mid 2000s. Mm -hmm. We're in 2023 as we tape this. <laughs> yeah. Um, tell me about uh, the change in Tampa from a, a cocktail perspective. Uh, it's it, it's massively changed, and uh, you know when I first came to Tampa, um, coming from London, 2007, uh, a cocktail back then would have consisted of Red Bull and uh, and uh, and a, and a French uh, vodka. And uh, people were happy to, to pay. Was that called a punch in the mouth or what was that? <laughs> uh, no. And so um, when I came, I I didn't know how to make uh, the drinks of that time, I guess, because people, uh, restaurants in Tampa were using um, like sour mix and uh, the cocktails were uh, maybe four, you know, four or five uh, drink uh, ingredients in a martini mm -hmm. glass and that was considered a cocktail. Um, things fast forward today now and you've got, 
pretty much it's wonderful to go to any bar and restaurant in in Tampa mm -hmm. and you can get a great old fashioned you can get uh you know uh great cl uh, classics and riffs on classics and I think that's changed over in within 10 years you know that 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 major change I thought about it last night actually about what um what was the change in the function and Cameron Mitchell opened a restaurant called um uh Ocean Prime mm -hmm. and I was trying to open a bar here and no one really wanted to uh, talk to me and give me a, a, a chance to uh, look at look at space. And um, the business plan was about making cocktails and it was a restaurant, it was an 80-20 rule, like more cocktails and then 20% food. And I was like, I don't understand that concept. And then uh, Ocean Prine opened and he made these drinks with gin called gimlets and cucumber in them. And all of a sudden everyone wanted a, a, a cocktail and then my phone rang. It's like, hey, I get it. Like, uh, I went to this restaurant and there's something called a gimlet and I'm in, I'm sold. And I think that was a segue for a lot of people to enjoy um, a cocktail that uh, that in 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 consisted of something that wasn't like a neutral flavor. Right. So I, what I recall from that time period when I was a food writer for the Tampa Tribune was that really at the genesis of this new renaissance that we've been experiencing mm -hmm. for say, it's hard to believe, but it's been more than 15 years, is that there was sort of a formation of a US Bartenders Guild yep. chapter here, and then people from local bars would get together and have cocktail competitions. Sometimes they were sponsored by specific spirits or brands, but you saw everybody getting better because they were feeding off each other's vibe. Yep. And, and that it was like cocktails were first and then you started to see food trucks and then restaurants and then you know everything was rising at the same time then coffee and everything but the cocktails were important uh as a as sort of a benchmark for what expectations were and specifically if i recall correctly and correct me if i'm wrong it was prohibition era cocktails yep. classic old school prohibition uh cocktails and well-made almost prohibition style spirits. Yep, I agree. I think uh, the USBG had a huge part to play. Um, Tampa's just an amazing place. If, if you build it, they come and uh, they, they uh, I think the first party they threw was a, a, a repeal party mm -hmm. and it, it, it made like national waves and it was like, holy crap, like people are gonna, <laughs> people are noticing Tampa in like right. 2011 and the bartenders, like you said, I think they were a huge catalyst um, for owners to go, we got some really clever staff here. We need to like get them to create some of these drinks in our own restaurants. And I think that changed a lot of things. I remember specifically before they held their first repeal party, which at one point occupied a whole hotel. <laughs> Each room was themed to a different drink. But before that, on repeal day, or on, on the day the prohibition was passed, they carried a casket down 7th Avenue. I think it was from the bricks all the way down to like almost like the dirty shame. <laughs> and they were carrying a casket and it was a joyful celebration, but it was such a, a galvanizing moment. It was like, oh, there are people who actually care about this. <laughs> and then when repeal day happened, it was like it started small in the basement, I believe it was, of the Ebor Hotel. Um, before the Vicente Ybor Hotel, when they they before they changed it, and um, I remember Hudson Valley uh, Rye Whiskey came, and there were all these little rooms where they were doing different different things, and it's the the ceilings were low, and it was like, oh man, we can have cool stuff, you know. Yeah. Um, but a lot of those bartenders are now driving programs at a lot of the bigger restaurants. Um, what I'm wondering is why was the bar program the thing that kind of moved the needle 
Was it the professionalism? Was it the dedication to craft? Uh, you know, I sound silly, but like uh, there was that. Uh, you know, you know, probably know PBS better than than I do, but there was a uh, a documentary on prohibition that came around the same time. You had Broadwalk Empire that was uh, very popular, mm -hmm. and people just, I guess, you get to that point. Like the twenties were cool, mm -hmm. and um, and it was it was a fun time to to, to celebrate, I guess, and uh, um, and I think that had a lot to do with like going back to that time period of right. just having fun with enjoying booze. Well, there's an authentic history here because, yep. you know, during Prohibition, one of the wettest places in America was Florida and specifically Tampa because you had all of these um, shipping routes that went north-south from Havana to Tampa, and Tampa was the deep water port. I mean, I've heard stories that there was a hurricane that washed ashore a bunch of cedar logs, and they went out to rescue the people who were on the boat. The people on the boat were gone, and the logs... Um, were empty and hollow because there had been <laughs> contraband in them, and somebody during the storm went out and got them. So, I mean, there's all kinds of raids in in Ybor City at the Columbia where I work. There's a, a search warrant on the wall from 1929. You know, there is a history here of cocktails. It just kind of went to sleep for a little while. And now it's back with a vengeance. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and you can play with that when when you're creating drinks. Yeah, for sure. And I think that's what I've noticed about um, the Tampa bartending community here. Rather than uh, focus on what everyone else is doing in different cities. Right. They've looked at their ingredients here. They've, uh, you know, there's a lot of fun to be had with, um, uh, you know, Florida lifestyle and stuff and uh, using um, the ingredients that are local to us. I think uh, that's been a big part of the success for the cocktail scene here. Well, I, I remember you were one of the founders of Ciro's Speakeasy mm -hmm. and it was sort of playing with that history. And I remember going into Ciro's Speakeasy, you know, down in South Tampa and it's like embedded in the side of like a, a residential building and you walk in and it is this ode to velvet and alcohol, you know, <laughs> and then, the first time I met you, we were discussing the importance of the shape and the clarity and the quality of ice. Mm -hmm. And I wondered if you could talk a little bit about the importance of ice and then how ice has become to be important in Tampa now. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, we talked to uh, like ice is important ingredient, um, just treat it like an ingredient. Um, the, There's some drinks that have crush, some have cubes, yep. some are spheres. Yep. I mean, I went out and bought molds. That's how deep <laughs> I went into it. After talking to you, I was like, I got to have this ice at my house. Yeah, so back then, um, we saw our, um, a particular ice machine that wasn't really available here. And I think you know, people were like, why do you want that ice machine? Like, we don't, like, no one has that for like 60 years. That's like no one, you know, uh, but we got the ice machine. And then, you know, we, we, we actually uh, made our own molds and made our own uh, ice and we had blocks and the bartenders would chisel it and uh you know make like chisel it in front of customers front of customers um clarity like you say uh christmas uh super cold keep the keep the drink consistent from the first sip to the last uh it was paramount um crushed ice is always a fun uh ingredient um now moving forward you know there's a the tampa ice plant that provides really amazing ice uh on a daily basis to, to restaurants uh, in Tampa and Tampa Bay, and yeah, you can you can get great ice now. You don't have to like chisel it anymore. You can actually just uh, get it from a really good ice uh, ice source here in Tampa. And then you know the the way I've been to some of these places that craft the ice, they have literally CNC machines that are laser cutting the yeah. ice and putting designs in it. Yep. You know they've got these massive tanks that make clear huge blocks that then they cut out of. Um, it's an incredible investment. Yep. Um, and I remember talking to the folks that started Doggery yep. uh, Craft Ice 
And uh, they were like, do you think there's a market for this? Do you think there's a market for this? And I go, I, I want to think yes, but I don't know. And then when I saw how many great restaurants were pinning the bar program as the sort of tent pole for their success, mm-hmm. um, you know, let's not be beat around the bush about it. Uh, the bar is the biggest profit margin in a restaurant. Um, you know, investing in great ice is an investment in the customer as well as the whole experience, you know, and you taught me that, you know, there are drinks I didn't even thought about. There are drinks that are better with crushed ice, some better with cubes, some better with other, you know, just regular, I think it was a Hoshizaki ice machine. Was that right? Or uh, what, what it was a, a cold draft. Cold draft. Cold draft. I'm sorry. But, uh, yeah, no, um, to go to any restaurant now, it's a default uh, or a bar, even, right. you know, uh, some of the bars on seventh Avenue and you ask for a whiskey on the rocks and, it's a default they'll put it on a big cube which you know that's something that maybe would have happened in japan you know and now it's you know we 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 do that as a default here yeah once it got easier to get them yeah you know that made a difference yeah and it does take labor yeah and and like you said dogri does a great job and that that someone is still physically cutting that ice you know at four in the morning right you know just so you can get great ice the next the next evening yeah and you know they're standing in a cooler with a jacket (laughs) and they're monitoring all the cutting and things like that and they can customize any design on a piece of ice that they want i remember him uh when i was at doggery ice one day doing uh doing a story that they were doing something for the alabama crimson tide and so they were putting the alabama logo on it i'm like i didn't even know that was possible it's like the world went from black and white to color on that you know (laughs) Um, so what are some of the things that are exciting you about Tampa's cocktail scene right now? I'm always fascinated by how the guest will, uh, experience, uh, everything. And, uh, and also I feel like, uh, sometimes the guests inform us of what they want. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm seeing, uh, maybe not a shift, but, but we talked about premium cocktails, premium ingredients, people are curious about what is that? I want to try that. What's up on the top shelf? Bartenders are like, hey, you need to try this. Um, It's very uh, uh, common, I guess now, is for people's curiosity to like have, try 16 different bourbons or or, or actually uh, uh, tequila or mezcal. I mean, a smoky, uh, you know, spirit from Mexico is is quite uh, popular these days. And the other side of that is, uh, that coin, I guess, is, People, uh, certain age group, I guess, are not maybe drinking as much. And so they're curious about low ABV cocktails uh, or even non-alcoholic spirits. And if you ask me like 10 years ago, would people come into a bar and ask for a uh, non-alcoholic spirit? I'd be like, well, why would you you do this? Um, But but I've tasted some of these amazing um, low EBV or no 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 uh, alcohol spirits, and they've got great viscosity. They've got the flavor profiles of of uh, of of if you wanted a gin or a bourbon or a tequila, and I think uh, yeah, the audience or the the guests are uh, are trying different. Things that don't necessarily have to have alcohol in me. You know, I was a Shirley Temple and a Boy Scout drinker from way back. (laughs) And when you think about it, it plants something in your head that, oh, okay, well, it can be sweet and it can be enjoyable. And I'm using the same glass that my grandmother would drink out of or something like that. Um, It just plants the seed a little bit. Um, The other thing I think that's happening that you and I have discussed is um, the making of spirits locally yeah. and and how that has improved. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I mean, we've got some great distilleries. Uh, Cane, uh, Florida Cane, Florida that's Kane. based in uh, in Tampa, yeah. in, in Ebor. Um, there's a couple of uh, other great um, distillers. Uh, we, you know, we talked about it, about how 
uh, some people that aren't born into distilling families are just curious. Um, there's a gentleman I met a few months ago that really was loved bourbon and uh, and rum, and he went around uh, the Caribbean islands to learn more about it. He comes back to Tampa, and all of a sudden he goes, "I want to buy a distillery. I want to start being an alchemist and kind of creating my own um, my own um, rum and uh, laying down um, barrels of uh, for a bourbon in Florida." And it's brilliant because like. You know, in five years' time, or ten years' time, or even fifteen or twenty—that's his—that's his um, his goal is to to rest or create bourbon and let it rest for twenty years. And uh, you know, we have a different climate here, so it's going to be exciting to see what comes out of that. Yeah, the uh, people don't necessarily understand how long of a process making, say, a barrel aged spirit is, mm. and that is literally what the phrase implies. It is sitting in a barrel, collecting flavors mm. of a certain type. Um, you know, there's uh, even in Ybor City, you mentioned Florida Cane, mm -hmm. um, you know, the Gasparilla rum that comes out of the Tampa Bay Rum Company. Um, they do a great banana bread rum that opens up all kinds of possibilities. So people aren't just making the product, they're making unique flavors to mm -hmm. stand out, just like a, a chef would make a dish. Yeah. Um, but then those, those flavors are then used at the bar in a unique way. So when you're coming up with a cocktail, where do you go for inspiration? When I come up with, I'm actually, I, I, I kind of, uh, somewhat of a purist. I like to look at classic cocktails. Um, I always, um, like I say, like going back to the, the, the bartenders in Tampa, uh, I always look to them, uh, if they're in, um, in our, in our bar, they, they come up with some amazing stuff. And, uh, as you know, I playing off riffs of classics, mm -hmm. I think going back to that three ingredient rule kind of thing. Um, so my inspiration comes from like, I guess, riffs on classics really. People don't understand that um, every cocktail that you make is a segment of time. And the lo the more ingredients you have, the longer it takes to make, the less cocktails you can make, the less money you make. <laughs> and so it has to be efficient, it has to be flavorful, it has to be cost effective, but it also has to stimulate the mind. That's why I think uh, so many cocktails have great names. Um, you know, you, you mentioned the old fashioned before the old fashioned is what I use the way I use brisket at barbecue. <laughs> like if you can't make good brisket, you can't make good barbecue. It's the hardest thing to make old fashioned to me is sort of the, you know, it's the standard that everybody does. If you can't make a good old fashioned, um, I, I'm probably not going to try anything else. Yeah. Know? So, yeah. So, uh, yeah, there's a couple of standards like the, the, I guess the pillars of cocktails, uh, you know, old fashioned's one. Mai Tai for me is Manhattan. one. Manhattan, you know, uh, a gimlet. Right. Uh, you know, a daiquiri, a simple like daiquiri natural, three ingredients. Uh, if you can make that well, then you can probably make a lot of other drinks really well at that bar. Sure. Yeah, there was a, a great drink we had at um, Eulalie called the uh, the Dirty Richard, <laughs> named for my boss, Richard Gosmar. And it was a brine cube with an olive in it wow. that charged the drink as you drank it, and but it was labor intensive. And so it, it became a problem in terms of selling it in a matter of time. But we had another cocktail where we used the um, Florida Cane Fire Ant Vodka. And it had just a little bit of spice to it. And we named it after um, the Princess Eulalie statue that has the flames around it. And it's just, it's people expect cocktails to be playful. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's old fashions and Manhattans are great, but they want you to play a little bit. Is that liberating for you? Yeah. like So, yeah, the playfulness of it, like you said, um, you know, 
it is a bar. You know, you're supposed to have fun while you're there. <laughs> uh, I don't take the, I don't take cocktails that serious. I mean, I, we, we work seriously and we make great drinks. Like, right. like you'd like to, you know, you hope, but it's really, it's a fun place and you're supposed to have fun. And, um, you mentioned, uh, glassware as a vehicle and you can really, you know, that's a vehicle to enjoy, uh, and celebrate a drink that's fun. And, you know, uh, the presentation is important. I think we, we went, we did a, we were in a cocktail competition. We judged, I think, once, and people were doing amazing things like bringing out a chest yeah. and opening the chest. There, and was, just, a, there was a presentation. To yeah, it. and it's. I mean, who would not want that as a in a you know to, to drink? I mean, here in Tampa, we've got the um, the relationship with uh, cigars, and you know, people enjoy smoked old fashions. Yeah. And you know, you go to Hotel Higher and you know you order uh, an old fashioned there, and they'll give you uh, your drink in a cigar box and then you open it and it's smoking and you know it's, it's a beautiful presentation yep, i've seen it yeah um speaking of that i noticed the evolution of bar talent in the use of cigars as a motivator when there was one competition i'm not going to name the bartender where he he puffed on a cigar and blew <laughs> into the drink and then handed the drink this is pre-covid and i was just like what 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 no i don't want that i had to taste it because i was judging it and then the next time i noticed somebody had tried to smoke the ice ball that they were using not a bad idea but it doesn't always translate aromatically if it's covered up in liquid great idea they were all going for a smokiness mm -hmm. like you would get from a pd whiskey or something mm -hmm. like that and then the third one i judged it was a four roses contest and it was in saint pete and a bartender from miami came up took a cedar plank brulee the plank put the the glass over the plank and now it's standard i see it everywhere yep. but everybody was trying to get to that point and i saw this maturation in the span of maybe about a year yeah and i went from you know basically drinking backwash to getting to <laughs> this really nuanced beautiful smoky multi-dimensional cocktail yep. and it's it's amazing to me how fast uh, bartenders learn from each other. Mm -hmm. And it's something that I think, I, I know chefs do that, but there's something about bartending that I think really, it encourages them to play. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, like any industry, you, you hope to have best practices. Right. And when you're, I guess, finishing work or you're at someone else's bar and you're looking at like how they do things and the USBG, you you know, I'm sure when they get together, they, they collaborate, they talk about those sure. things, you know. Um, but yeah, it's so funny, like from blowing a cigar to, uh, you know, to, to actually, uh, uh, cedar plank. <laughs> yeah, that was nasty. Um, but I took a bullet for the team, you know, I'm always willing to, to drink anything, um, at least once. Um, you know, the other thing that I've noticed is restaurant design has changed to make the bar, uh, essentially a center point and a stage yep. for the rest of the restaurant. Tell me a little bit about what you're seeing in Tampa. Yeah, I think, uh. Not that bars were ever an afterthought, but for, it's funny, like you mentioned the relationship with uh, the financial reward for having a solid bar program is it insulates you from, uh, or it protects you uh, to ha in, maybe the food can be a little bit more uh, um, higher quality with less percentage points and all that good stuff. Um, but the bar actually could be like the workhorse for your for your restaurant. And um if you can see that, then you you can put more effort into the presentation of your bar, and it becomes a focal point. And uh, you know, we mentioned Anise uh, a while ago, and it had this wonderful long uh, uh, back bar. This was Anise Global Gastro Bar. It was right there on Ashley. And correct? Ashley, yeah, Sky Point, and um, it set the tone. So you know, that was our marketing there. I guess when you go in, you're like, oh, 
I've arrived at a cocktail bar. It looked like you were walking into the Last Supper at the bar. I mean, it just <laughs> went from wall to wall, and it was beautiful. The backdrop was lovely. And then you had a bartender every so couple of feet. Yeah. But it was all really encouraging the bartender as your sort of advocate in hospitality. You know, yeah. it wasn't just sort of, here's your drink, there you go. Right. There was conversation, and there was an exchange there where – uh, other bars had been more or less functional. Yep, exactly. And then you mentioned a, a, a restaurant um, on Water Street that has the span of their restaurant is Blah, a bar. Yeah. yeah. And they um, they really make it, uh, I, I mean, even as you're driving by on Water <laughs> Street, you see that's the that's the, the vision you see, especially at night. Um, so when you're, um, when you're at home and you're done working for the day, what is the thing that you make for yourself at home? Uh, just a um, bourbon on the rocks or tequila on the rocks and keep it really simple. Yeah, yeah, that's what your comfort is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because so, I think people, if especially in the food industry, they they look at chefs and bartenders and think, oh, they must have this fantastic, <laughs> you know, Oz-like experience at home. And, um, you know, I'm, I, if you're anything like me, it's sort of like, okay, that was work. This is home. And I have a little bit of that there, but not as much, but what's, what's the home bar like? You know, it's funny. I have, I have a lot of, um, I have a lot of, uh, spirits uh -huh. and, uh, antique booze. I love collecting antique, uh, spirits, um, anything from, uh, pre 1950s. So I don't really drink any of that until my friends come around right. and then I'll open the cabinet and we'll, 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 we'll taste that stuff. Um, do you have a favorite antique? I do. It's uh, a Bacardi, uh, 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 pre-1950s from Cuba. Uh, it's, Before the revolution. Yeah, and actually we did a, a, a dinner tasting uh, with uh, for Jameson once, uh, and I pulled out, like, for fun, like, you know, we pulled out a, a bottle of Jameson for that, and uh, opening that up, the, the whole thing tastes so different. You know, yeah. back then... Um, you know, the water would have been different. The, the the barrels would have been different. Also, the alcoholic content was a uh, hundred proof back then, and now wow. it's eighty. Yeah, that's vastly different. So that's vastly different. You didn't have to drink as much to get as far. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing, like in trying to get a gauge of how popular cocktails are and how popular spirits are, you know, for instance, there's a Facebook page called the Tampa Bay Whiskey Society. Mm. Very very active, and it's almost like an intelligence. Uh, you know, everybody's sending out intel about where they're getting the best bottles and everything. And it's like, invariably, it's like, I went to a Costco and they had 10 bottles of this. <laughs> Hurry and get it now. Or or I walked into this neighborhood place that has no reputation and suddenly it has Pappy Van Winkle for no reason at all. Yeah, yeah. Um, people are really paying attention to not only premium, but value and then also secondary value in a different way. Yeah. Uh, surprisingly, it's amazing how that secondary value thing's working where you can you know, buy, if you can find a rare gem and then you can, uh, maybe if you want to make a profit on it, you can uh, send it on secondary market. Yeah. I have a friend who plays in an online poker league <laughs> and they don't bet with money. They bet with whiskey. Wow. And I go into his house and his house is full of Weller and Pat, all this stuff, right? So he's a good like, poker player. Yeah. Well, the point <laughs> is that everybody else in the group is a terrible poker player. That's the poker players you want to be with. Um, and so he has a, he has a bar better than some of the bars that I've seen in Tampa. You know, wow. just played by playing poker. But um, so when you want to go out and look in Tampa to get inspired, where do you go? Because I'm sure you go around to bars and you look like the way chefs go to restaurants. Yeah. Uh, 
That's a great question. Um, where would I, you know, I, you always want to go to the new places, uh, check them out, see what's going on. Who would have thought like people investing millions of dollars um, on restaurant space, which you talked a little bit about, about the, the bar design and they're beautiful. Um, and so, yeah, I'm curious about like, People are getting architects from all over the world to design their spaces. They're working with amazing branding companies that are award-winning um, to create a theme and a uh, uh, an event, if you like, for for for, for people walking in. Um, so I'm always like looking at that. I, I find it fascinating how you know we have the Edition Hotel that's absolutely beautiful. Mm -hmm. um, and it just makes you happier when you walk in, you know, like those sort of spaces. So I'm curious about that. The drink wise, I, there's so many great bars out there. There's a place on Swan. Mm -hmm. I'm a huge fan of the bar scene there. The bartenders are brilliant. Mm -hmm. um, it, it, there's a little bar uh, in uh, just off 7th Avenue called First Chance, Last Chance. Mm -hmm. And you can order like a random like prohibition cocktail there and it's it i won't say a dive bar that's you know whatever that means to a lot of people that's a compliment it's a days. compliment it's absolutely lovely and uh it means i'm really comfortable here and there isn't anything trying to be too stuffy yeah and but then you can still get a paper plane or an old-fashioned and you're like i've arrived like i'm in a really good place here I'm, I'm happy you know well you i you've talked about um going to like the columbia bar mm. in ebor and theater. sort of the theater <laughs> well you said it's the, it's almost like ballet oh mate brilliant and you just sit there and watch. What do you watch when you go there? I mean, you know, the staff, I mean, first of all, I don't, I mean, you guys probably, I mean, how many hundreds of people do you take care of every yeah, day? Yeah. Um, so I sit at the bar, I kind of just, like you say, I, watching the bartenders work and they're dancing around, looking after everyone um, that sits down for dinner as well or lunch. And then you, you look at the service bartender that's cranking out amazing consistently, mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, large format um, uh, sangria, uh, you know, the sugarcane stick that goes in, the, it just just the detail, but it's consistent in the way that they, um, and then you've got the servers that just seem to to just be part of that dance right. too. And uh, I love seeing the, the, the little spirited bottles that go with the mojito. I just think it's just, if you were, if you were in um, the Caribbean, that's how it probably would be do, done too. You know, um, the sangria, um, where they, they mix make it, it the table mix is it a, a table. It's a, and Tyler, you see how fresh it is and things yep. like that. Yep. Now you just moved to Ebor recently Yep. and tell me about the future. What are you planning? I was introduced to this beautiful space on 7th Avenue and it were, it's basically the former, um, uh, center, a Cuba Espanol, uh, social club mm -hmm. from the nine, early 1900s. And it's just 5,000 square foot of history, um, and I, I got offered a chance to like, what would I do there? And I've always loved uh, Ebor, uh, it, the, the heritage, this, you know, I'm, I'm really glad to see that people uh, are investing in it. And uh, it, it is a jewel in the crown, I think, mm -hmm. of central Florida. Mm -hmm. And um, so to be offered this historical space, I was like, I'd like to do something there. And Ebor, there's so many thing, uh, people that come and, and visit from 8 a.m. all the way through, as you know, till two or three in the morning. And so the space that we've uh, built is um, is multifunctional that we hope that would allow people to enjoy the, his the history mm -hmm. of, of the space. Um, but whether it's a coffee, sh uh, coffee experience in the morning, uh, lunch, uh, a lounge area, we have a little dining room. Um, 
we have some art that will be around the place like digital art and we have retail and so we hope to be kind of a, an experience that you can come in you know two-thirds of it is actually quite you know a walking space mm -hmm. um so you can just enjoy it as a uh, public space if mm -hmm. you like and then if you want to have dinner with us or lunch you can do that too and hopefully by the time you see this it'll be open and you'll be serving yep and lots of cocktails lots we've of got, cocktails we've got two bars there which uh which we're excited about one of them is a, a 20 tap cocktail program right. um that should allow the bartenders the freedom to create pre uh freedom to create these uh wonderful concoctions they have um and you know knock them out really quickly for the hundreds of people that that you know that come 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 through restaurants and bars in ebor sure. um, and then we have a dining room bar for about 18 people for the cocktail uh, experience that um that's going to be a little unusual um there's a uh the the cocktail station there actually talking about the investment of uh bar 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 uh uh, uh aesthetics mm -hmm. we've got something called the Taya, um which is only two in the world so we're excited for the bartenders to get to play with that um and hopefully the guests will enjoy it too so what's the one spirit or one flavor in a glass that you would say when i want to taste tampa this is what i taste oh wow um god that's a really good question i would say i don't know why but guava comes to mind sure yeah. And it's a hard it's a hard ingredient because it can get too sweet on you. But I know that Tampa International Airport, I know, uses guava as um, the basis for this, a sweet cocktail called Spirit of Flight. Wow. And it's sort of like it's mo meant to be sort of a cocktail handshake coming in or leaving and saying <laughs> goodbye. One last taste of Tampa. But the fact that the airport cared enough to think about cocktails, I think it's huge. Oh, massive. Yeah. Yeah. We're lucky we have that awesome airport. Absolutely. Um, well, I thank you for being... I guess it's been great to talk about it. I, one thing though, do you have anything to drink? I might have, yeah. What'd you bring? Um, so uh, we've got um, a relationship with a um, uh, with a couple of distillers and a couple of places that are, a couple of people that are uh, liquor negotiations, and we asked them um, a good friend of mine that's a uh, create spirits if he could find a rare barrel uh, for us to have our own um, rare bourbon. For, for 10 rooms and we've got this wonderful like nine-year-old oh wow uh, bourbon leather and lace leather single and barrel lace. casket a cask strength bourbon whiskey nine years old nine years old you know it's yeah. real when people start writing on the label <laughs> yeah um i have to say the, the name leather and lace uh probably uh conjures up a lot of things for different people well in my age group <laughs> it's um Stevie Nicks and uh, Tom Petty singing Leather and Lace. Oh, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah, how yeah. old I am. I just dated myself before I even started drinking. But Well, you want to try some? Absolutely. I'll All take right. a taste. You don't have to twist my arm for great bourbon. There we go. Let's see what you Why think is, is bourbon so popular right now? It's delicious. It's uh, Kentucky champagne. <laughs> I love that. Let me see here. So how? tell me how I should be drinking this. Uh, quick, no. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> is it because you know i've used it over a cube i've used it with a little drop of water yeah i um so this has actually got uh, uh it, it's nearly what 110 proof so i would sip so I'd it. be calling uber in about five minutes yes, yes. yeah i would sip it and of okay. course the, the, a nice cube or like uh, if you have one round um but i'm gonna just enjoy this um now do you smell it what do you do oh yeah what? i mean it's gonna and we've got a high rye content mm. in this oh you can smell the rye actually yeah this is yeah. really great yeah. Cheers. Well, cheers, man. Salute.
this is officially my favorite podcast. No <laughs> offense to anybody else, but my lord, that is lovely. It it almost evaporates before it gets to your tongue. Yep, yep. That's like full of unicorns, and um, <laughs> we only have 180 bottles, and we're the first people. Put me drinking down for it. 175, please. I'll save you five. So you only have 180. We have only 180 bottles. Um, the next time we go ahead and do this again, we'll have to now source another uh, barrel. The, we actually um, we're creating our own um, in partnership with a, a wonderful distillery in Florida. Um, the gin is going to be called uh, Spiritus Mundi, and it has a lot of those flavor profiles that you would be, I guess, synonymous with Florida uh, and Tampa. We've got a uh, citrus in there, a lot of citrus uh, that we we actually will, you know, we used all the fruit, right, and not just the uh, the peel, um, and then it, harking back to my roots, being Indian, we've got some. Um, some some ingredients there like cardamom for the gin i love how simple the label is too it's yeah. just fun yeah old school old school yeah well cheers and cheers, thank brother. you again for being a guest i appreciate it um keep your eye out for more episodes of tampa's table a culinary journey uh thank you for joining us and you can find us wherever there's youtube or podcasts and keep your eye out for the tampa's table cookbook that's coming out in the fall